kittens. We are back with another very special stay-at-home self-quarantine episode of the Brando Cast. Holy fucking shit! God damn it, Jesus H Christ! Today's a real barn burner because my guest—we've never had a guest as metal as my guest today. He is a very popular comedian, and he is also the host of the extremely metal podcast. Let there be talk. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me in welcoming Mr. Dean Del Rey. Yay! Yay! <laughs> oh, yay! I've been waiting for this episode. Cool. You finally got him. I am, uh, dude, I'm so fucking excited to talk to you. We had Dean Del Rey as a guest on Rock Tales with Ahmed Zap on Sirius XM, volume channel 106. That was an absolute, um, absolute blast with you. So, dude, I'm so fucking psyched that, um, that you're doing the Brando cast today. Uh, before we get started on our topic of discussion, which is going to be Dean Del Rey's top five metal albums of all time. Uh, would oh, which you by, just... by the way, can I give a little, uh, I, I just want to give a, a little uh, thing there that I was uh, top five metal, but then I was like, wait, is Danzig metal? Is Tool metal? There's all these different categories, you know, Mastodon, are they metal? So I went with what I consider, I'm just giving a, uh, a little uh, side thing here before later they go, what? But I just went with what I thought was classic metal. Well, your list is fucking amazing, and I think people are really going to dig it. So before we uh, get into it, um, what is going on in your world right now? Where are you? What's going on, on out on the road? And uh, is there anything you want to promote before we get going? Um, so f- the 15 and 16, I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, d- headlining four shows at the Comedy Fort. And then um, I'm currently on and off on the Bill Burr Arena Tour all year. So we do like a week here and then uh, a week there of arenas. And then starting September 8th for 38 days, I start a rock and comedy tour with Marcus King. And we're doing like um, 38 dates across America, Beacon Theaters, Ryman Theaters, uh, Tabernacles, Will Turns. All of those type of uh, beautiful ultimate uh, theater. So <laughs> it's been a uh, a pretty wild ride, starting from the Metallica opening for Metallica till the end of the year. There, God damn it! Um, are you gonna be? You're gonna be doing some uh, some rock performing yourself, correct? I'm hoping at the end of each show that uh, Marcus King and I will be. Uh, and, and Neil Francis is also on the tour. Throw in a uh, super jam of some uh, bonus song each night. I'm, I'm, I'm almost 100% that's going to happen. Something from ACDC to Earth, Wind, and Fire to, uh, who knows, uh, Starfish and Coffee by Prince. You never know. <laughs> to, a, to a metal song, Marcus King, they destroy war pigs. It's unreal how good they do that. That's amazing. What is your go-to ACDC song? Always let there be rock because it's just uh, it's just an anthem, and it you know on paper that song should be cheesy, you know let there be rock you know, but it is so 
It's so great. That and Livewire are the my go-tos. But I just love that. In the beginning, <laughs> back in 1955, man didn't know about a rock and roll show and all that jive. You know, that just, oh, it gives me chills. Uh, that was maybe one of the best Bon Scott impersonations I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I love him, man. I love him. And he is uh, the reason I'm probably alive because... You know, I love that band so much. It made me want to play music. And uh, that guy was a true outlaw. Uh, a pirate. Of all the great pirates in, in heavy metal, Lemmy, Bon Scott, that's that's it right there. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. And uh, Joey Ramone, you know? And Joey Ramone. I, you know, you would. I think you would want Bon Scott at your side in a bar fight, don't you think? I, I think he could probably behead somebody with a spoon. You know, what's crazy is I never met Bon, of course, because I was a kid, but I saw Bon. But um, he, there's, I guess he's just like 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five in height. All those guys are crazy small. But Bon, to me, just seems like he's giant. And it's, you, you know, I think it, it's definitely his uh, persona. When I was a kid, he was like the first guy I saw with tattoos, you know? He had a big old fucking parrot and... I was like, whoa, tattoos. I mean, <laughs> dude, that was like dangerous. No one had tattoos before Bond, you know? Right. And then I remember in the very early 80s, it was like, oh, shit, Ozzy has four tattoos. Yeah. Oh, fucking A. He's the devil. Right. Oh, man. Like, I remember Paul Stanley had the little rose, you know, <laughs> but Bond just had giant fucking thing. And then Ozzy just ups him with just like fucking demons on his chest and shit. <laughs> I forget what tour it was. Uh, it may have been the Ultimate Sin tour, but I swear to God, at the merch table, they had a t shirt. That was oh, basically his just his tattoo shirt, right? Yeah, the tattoo that? shirt. Yeah, and that's what it was called, tattoo shirt. And you put it on, you just had Ozzy's fucking blue gargoyle on your chest. <laughs> and he had those little shitty ones, too, back when he was just getting high and stuff in the 70s, like weird little ones on his arms, you know? Like Yeah, we're like sailor tattoos. I mean, that's, yeah. that's you know, before there was any fucking tattoo artist. That's uh, what Bonds yeah. were. His were from the Merchant Marines or whatever. He was in some, you know... Some fucking thing. And I, I read that he was embarrassed of his tattoos later in life, which is weird because to me, it just, it added to who the fuck that guy was. Um, how do you feel about Brian Johnson? Love him. Love yeah. him. Love him. Oh, me son. My, my I favorite. love his first three records, I think, are the greatest vocal performances. I mean, dude, uh, you know, have a drink on me. Uh, spellbound on uh, those about to rock. And by the way, I like those about to rock better than all the Brian Johnson records. Wow. That's yeah, your number I, one. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I just nice. think it's so fucking weird and slow and it, the, you know, the tones on it are ridiculous. And there's another tune that should be cheesy on paper for those about to rock. We salute you. If you brought that in, people would be like, that's a dumb lyric. But it is a saga, and it's it's Let There Be Rock Part 2, man. Yeah. It's fire! Yeah. Uh, I love I'll, it. I'll I give can't you a, do Brian. I'll give you a little bit of my... Um, oh, me son. I'll give you a little bit of my metal bona fides. Uh, yeah. I grew up in... Uh, I was born in Pittsburgh, but my family moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico in 1980. So oh, shit. 1970... 1980, I'm in seventh grade. 
Uh, and Albuquerque, New Mexico, I hope you know this, is metal, 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 metal all day. The regular rock radio stations, 94 Rock and Rock 108, played Clapton, The Who, The Rolling Stones, but they would intersperse all that with Maiden, Rush, Van Halen, yep. ACDC, Dio, Solo Ozzy, Sabbath, both Dio Sabbath and, and Ozzy Sabbath. Um, it's just the way that I think because our Native American brothers love metal. Uh, yep. So all metal shows in Albuquerque were like a third white, a third Native American, and a third New Mexican. And um, my first ACDC show was the For Those About to Rock tour. Uh, and I was in eighth grade. Mind-blowing. Fucking amazing. That's the, a scorcher the, tour, dude. Yeah. That's and, a scorcher tour. And and to go back and look at, and I love, you know, you know, having an edible and looking through old playlists on Setless FM. And yeah. when I look at the setlist of that show, it was just fucking classic, 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 classic all the way through. Uh, one of my favorite shows of all time. So that's just a little bit of my metal bona fides uh, for you. But I know that you are one of the most metal people on earth. So why don't we do this? When I ask Mr. Delray to come on the Brando cast, as I do with all my guests, I say, what, who are the bands? What are the artists that inspired you? And I thought with Dean, I would do things a little bit differently because I want to hear what his top five metal records of all time are. It's a tough one to nail down, but he did it. So without further ado, let's get into the first one. And Justice for All is the fourth studio album by American heavy metal band Metallica, and it was released on September 7th, 1988 by Elektra Records. It was the first Metallica album to feature bassist Jason Newsted following the death of legendary Cliff Burton in 1986. Classics on this LP, Blackened, Harvester of Sorrows, and the band's first true hit single, One. Uh, Mr. Delray, those are just some simple notes uh, from Wikipedia. Uh, but the question that I have for you is, what does that album mean to your life? Well, I mean, it's the ob you know obvious everybody picks Masters. They always do that. And of course, uh, Masters is a masterpiece. Always. Always. And Lightning to me. Lightning, Masters, Justice are the records for me. I'm not, I, Look, I love Kill 'Em All, and it, it started it all, but to me, it uh, is Lightning, Masters, and Justice. But to me, Justice, of course, I love Cliff Burton. He was a god to me. But to pick yourself up after such a massive, massive loss of Cliff Burton, and to put out one of the most original metal records of the time that's really prog metal and 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 just you know everything about it the artwork the tour was unbelievable and and Hetfield I've said this over and over this is the ultimate evil Hetfield Nobody comes close to Hetfield at this time. It's like he took Ted Nugent and Lemmy and combined them and became this evil fucking dude on stage. He's angry Cliff's gone. He's taking it out on the audience. He's taking it out on that ESP Explorer. He's taking it out on Jason. 
And it is unreal, man. And that record, Blackened, is one of the greatest metal songs of all time. All time. And Short of Straw kills me, man. You're in the metal shop with DJ Ray. <laughs> that, was, that was the best analysis of Injustice for All that I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it's fucking crazy, this record. And another crazy thing is this is when it turns into fucking insanity with the Metallica fans. Cliff's gone. No more Metallica. No. <laughs> and then can't hear the bass. There's no bass. And from that uh, period on, you get the complainers. Every record. Here comes the Metallica complainers. Snare sounds like shit. No guitar leads. They cut their hair. They suck. These fucking guys. They keep complaining, and Metallica keeps selling out arenas and get better and better, man. I saw them a few months ago, and they were just destroying, you know? Where were you in space and time when you when you bought this record? Because I know you went right down to whatever your record store was, and you grabbed it as soon as it came out. Where were you? Well, I'll tell you what. I was, at the time, I was super broke. I didn't have money. And... Uh, so I was hanging at the stone, which is the nightclub that I later started booking and working at. And I was in the box office and I just stole it from the box. office. They sent it as the promo, you know? Yes. And I saw it sitting there and I go, oh yeah, this is mine. No one's going to care about this. This is mine. And I took it home. And I remember putting it on and I was just like, oh, this is why I didn't have money to buy it. It was like one of the first ones on CD. Like at that time, and they were like $25. So I had a CD and I had that uh, CD disc man. And I just went home and put it on. And I was fucking blown away. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. No, oh, wait, first, where, where, you know, where was the stone? Where was the stone? 412 Broadway on in San Francisco. That's where okay. all the great early Metallica shows went down. You know, oh, wow. Slayer, okay. Metallica, uh, Merciful, everybody played there. It was the, it was like the uh, Metallica clubhouse. Got it. Got it. Got it. And, and were you chasing uh, music yourself at this point in time? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, fuck yeah. That's why I had no money. <laughs> Zero money. It was like burrito and uh, a pack of cigarettes or a CD. I'm going to go with the food and cigarettes. Understood. But I had the CD. And it was like one of the three CDs I had. What was the name of your band? Uh, well, I had uh, multiple bands, but the ones that put records out was just my name, Dean Del Rey. But back then, I played in this band called Ghost Town. Fuck yeah. Yep. <laughs> Do you have any Ghost Town t-shirts uh, tucked away somewhere in your, uh, in your ab abode? I do. I actually have two left and I'll tell you a great story. We made this t-shirt and Chuck Billy wore it on one of their videos. I can't remember if it was like over the wall or into the pit. Uh, he wore it on the live footage of the video and we sold the shit out of shirts because of that. <laughs> and I always thank Chuck for it. And I was like, and Chuck loved our band. He would have us open, you know, we were like a straight up rock band. So it was always kind of nerve wracking to play with a super thrash band uh, at that time. But it kind of mixed because, you know, we had tattoos and we were kind of, uh, you know, Aerosmithy, GNR, kind of junkyard biker rock 
<laughs> so it worked, you know? <laughs> it definitely fun. worked. It's so it amazing. was nerve-wracking, man, opening for like Testament or someone really heavy. People, you know, back then, San Fran, kill posers, you know? He's still got the <laughs> spill-off of uh, Paul Bailoff and Exodus, you know, kill posers. It was funny. Oh, that's amazing. I'll give you my quick... Um my quick injustice for all story. I've told it on the podcast before. If you're a regular listener and you're rolling your eyes, you can fuck off. Uh, I, when the monsters of rock tour went out. Oh yeah. I remember it. Well, <laughs> kingdom clone King. It, right. For the people listening, it was a package tour featuring kingdom come Dokken, scorpions and Van Hagar with Metallica in there. I had already seen Metallica on the Ultimate Sin Tour when they opened up for Ozzy and Albuquerque. Um, so uh, we went, of course, early to see Metallica because they came on after Kingdom Come. I saw this tour with my buddy Clay Crowley at Alpine Valley, Wisconsin. We drove up from Chicago. And, you know, it's daytime. Yep. And 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 I had n- I had not, I don't think I'd seen a metal show during the day ever really you know because everything was always arena 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 so that was pretty wild but for metallica to come on after kingdom come oh you know they the the kingdom come can't even touch the stage but they blew everybody off the stage for the rest of the day with, oh, yeah. i mean without question and i would say that the metalheads from chicago and milwaukee who congregated at alpine valley they were there to see metallica because yeah. as you remember, and I'm just telling this to the people listening to the podcast, that at that time, Metallica was the edge. They were the fucking thing that the real metalheads fucking worshipped. And my favorite memory was, you know, after Metallica just blows the doors off the stage, uh, Dawkin comes on. Don Dawkin, yeah. uh, this was a period of time in his life when he probably enjoyed more than one cheeseburger. So he was looking a little big. And I took a, a beer break during his set. And I'll never forget this. I'm standing in the in the beer line at Alpine Valley, Wisconsin, and like this, I'm right behind this perfect Hesher from Milwaukee with the long fucking black hair and the fucking girl jeans. And, you know, he's probably wearing, you know, a, a, a Van Halen shirt or something like that. And the guy just passed out as if someone shot him in the head right there in line in front of, you know, 500 people and no one did a fucking thing. We all just stepped over the poor bastard and (laughs) continued on with our orders. But that was one of my uh, memories of the day, but they were fucking ridiculous at that point in time. I talked to George Lynch on my podcast and he goes, you don't even know the brutality of going on after Metallica on that tour and playing in my dreams. You know? Yeah. Oh my God, man. It's not love. The yeah. yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. They were the fucking shit. All right. Oh. Moving on with Mr. Dean Del Rey's. I would say these are his uh, top five metal records. I'm sure they could change over time. Oh, they do. <laughs> They do, but this was just something that I... These are records I listen to weekly, still, right now, you know, all the time. I fucking love it, because the next one that we're going to talk about is an album that I stole from Tower Westwood. Seasons in the Abyss is the fifth studio album by American thrash metal band Slayer, released on October 9th, 
1990 through Deaf American Records. Recording sessions began in March 1990 at Hit City West and Hollywood Sound and ended in June 1990 at the record plant in L.A. Upon its release, Seasons in the Abyss peaked at number 40 on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart. It was later certified gold in the United States and Canada. The album was produced by Rick Rubin and Slayer and features my favorite Slayer song, War Ensemble. And before I let you um, get into this, again, I was working at Tower Records, Westwood, California, in the fall of 1990. And I, as I often did at the end of a shift, I took this record home with me. Probably gave one to the security guard who would always ask us to grab a CD for him. Um, Seasons in the Abyss, go. Well, this record, of course, I love South of Heaven and Rain of Blood. But this particular record, there was uh, like a concrete metal convention. They used to have this thing, concrete convention. And they'd have like bands play at a hotel and really kind of, you know, have all the radio people there and stuff. So I would go every year. And this particular one, Rick Rubin had a private kind of listening party for it in some dark black room with free beer and a giant system. And I remember they turned it on and I was just like, oh, game over. You know, game over. And by the time that war ensemble video came where they're going up the Nile to the fucking pyramids, I was so obsessed with that. I read that they they um, they bribed the um, the security guards around the pyramids with cigarettes and playboys uh, because you're not allowed to shoot inside the pyramids. And oh. they went in, set up their fucking gear. And they say, look, you can do this, but you can't have any lighting in there because it'll fuck up the heat, you know? So they had mirrors and they bounced the sunlight off the mirrors into the fucking pyramid, you know, where they were playing and shit. And I thought it was the greatest video and just a, a metal saga tune, just down, I'm down, 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 you know? <clears throat> and then it just gets into that gallop and you know, and they're going up the stream. It's like apocalypse now, but fucking in Egypt, <laughs> it's smoking, man. And I, Tom um, Mariah, the most evil ever. The, yeah. Would you, would, would you consider him the most evil ever uh, well, in his, the pantheon of metal greats? Well, King, King diamond would be the most, but, but, Fucking, I remember seeing Slayer the first time at the Stone on um, South of Heaven, Rain and Blood, one of the two. And he had a Reaper tattooed, like this Reaper on his arm. And I was actually kind of scared at the concert. I was like, yeah. whoa, this yeah. fucking guy, die by the sword. You know, that I remember that. they say the pin. Is mightier than the sword. I say fuck that, cause you could die by the sword. And it was on, dude. I was like, oh fuck. And rain and blood, you know, the screams and shit. And he played bass, man. He was like Gene Simmons times a thousand. I'll never forget seeing Slayer on the Ozfest tour. At oh, yeah. the Blockbuster Pavilion in San Bernardino, California. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I know it well. So, and this was the year that Priest toured. 
So they're the co-headliner with Ozzy. But of oh, course, we, we, remember that we, Rob sang with Ozzy when when Ozzy <laughs> got sick somewhere. That was cool. Uh, and when Slayer came on, I will never forget the number of bonfires oh, yeah. that instantly erupted on the grass area there. At the yeah. Oh, dude! And- I'll tell you a crazy story. <laughs> I saw I saw Slayer on the God Hates Us All tour uh-huh. at the Sharks Arena in San Jose. I never miss Slayer. Ever. I went to the last two shows. And these fuckers are so metal, they buy a Slayer shirt, they light it on fire, and then they go in the pit, <laughs> whipping the shirt that's on fire, burning their $75 shirt as like full-blown, like some kind of satanic baptism. Dude, they're burning their own shirts. It was wet. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not even kidding. I'm not making that up, man. I know. It was fucking crazy. I know. They, the, uh, when the bonfires erupted, and I'm talking like Volkswagen-sized bonfires. Yeah. You know, they're burning their shirts. They're burning fucking whenever. They're burning each other. They're yeah. throwing small kids into the fire. And then I remember the sea parted, and then all of a sudden, Share uh, San Bernardino County Sheriff on fucking horseback rode yeah. right through the middle of oh. the general admission lawn. Oh. It's like swinging clubs at Slayer fans. Whoa, like that <laughs> scene in the Planet of the Apes. Exactly. hundred percent. <laughs> exactly right. You know, because those kids, those kids, they can get high off cooking a penny. Yeah. Like they know how to fuck. They'll drink paint. They yeah. will fucking like figure out like what kind of grass are we standing on? Can we yeah. melt this down and make it into some sort of like morphine? Whatever. I mean, so <laughs> that's and you know they started those fires old fashioned with the magnifying glass and that San Bernardino <laughs> sun just fucking sh- melting ants, right. just burning ants. You know, <laughs> dude, that is the famous place where I saw the US Festival. Uh, and in 1983, holy dude. shit! All right, were you there on Metal Day or were you there oh, for dude, the I, whole thing? I was all three days, dude. Fuck you. I was all there right. for the clash, I was there for Bowie, I was there for and Priest. I don't care what anybody says, Priest took the Metal Day. So, okay. fuck P- people always okay. argue the Scorpions. No way, man. Um, okay, so what was how long did you have to wait between the Scorpions and Van Halen? Oh, that was the bullshit, man. You know, and, and then Van Halen came out and they just ate dicks, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's funny. I watched it recently again, the whole Van Halen set. And with some proper editing and stuff, it doesn't seem that bad. But after a full day of onslaught of just crushing metal, and I'm a huge Van Halen guy, it was just weak, you know, because Dave yeah. was just tanked. I heard they were like <laughs> shooting him up with some fucking adrenaline or whatever to even get him to stand up. There's a in the video, which I'm telling the people listening to the podcast, you can go watch on YouTube. Most of the time it pops up the full they pro shot it. And it's there. There's a moment when Dave drinks nearly a full bottle of Jack Daniels, and you can see the aneurysm that happens in his brain after he finishes the yeah. and, and for like for five seconds, he has no fucking idea where he's at. He has yeah. no idea that he's standing in front of 150,000 people or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story. Was a couple of weeks before that, I had went to see Ozzy. <clears throat> Uh, not a couple weeks. I guess it was like 
months before, maybe a year before, I went to see Oz. Yeah, because Jakey Lee joins the band. I go to see Ozzy with Brad Gillis, and I find a laminate uh, kind of um, uh, pass for the uh, Diary of a Madman in the parking lot. So I brought that to the Us Festival, and I just rolled backstage with this laminate, this Aussie laminate. Nobody said anything. And I sat on stage in the aluminum bleachers and watched Judas Priest 10 feet away. And then I got scared and got out of there. I was like, I'm going to get caught. I'm out of here. <laughs> Dude, I watched it on stage. Wow. That's a professional move. That yeah. fucking amazing. Uh, yeah. Did you get there in time uh, that day to see Joe Walsh? Now, Joe Walsh moved to the third day because okay, he was so he moved, okay. Stevie Nicks at the time, and they replaced him with Triumph, which was a perfect time to go take a piss. You know? <laughs> I, fight. I was not a Triumph guy, and I still am not to this day. They have not grown on me, which is amazing. Um, I, I will say I'm a Triumph guy. Albuquerque, New Mexico, fucking love Triumph. 94 Rock, Rock 108. They played all that fucking magic power. Lay it on the line. Fight the good fight. Yeah. Uh, never surrender. Uh, they were great live. I, I will tell you this. They will. Oh, yeah. they, I won't try to sell them on you, but they were fucking amazing live. Okay. You know who, who else is fucking amazing live? We've already talked about them. Number three on Mr. Dean Del Rey's top five metal albums of all times. It is Screaming for Vengeance. Screaming for Vengeance is the eighth studio album by the English heavy metal band Shooters Priest. It was released on July 17th, 1982 by Columbia Records. Considered the band's commercial breakthrough, it has been certified double platinum in the U.S. and platinum in Canada. Screaming for Vengeance spawned the hit single, You've Got Another Thing Coming, which became one of the band's signature songs. Other classics on this LP, Electric Eye, Riding on the Wind, and Bloodstone. Uh, screaming for Vengeance. What does Screaming for Vengeance mean to you, sir? First of all, I saw Priest uh, before this on the Point Entry Tour, which is one of the all-time greatest Priest tours. And uh, so a lot of people are going to say, of course, British Steel. That's the obvious one. But I think that the song Screaming for Vengeance is probably the greatest metal vocal performance ever on vinyl. That particular song, man, it is so fucking metal, especially when he does the scream. Scream, scream, you know, that record, everything, that tour, if you watch that tour, MTV did a, a live tour. I think it's in Houston or one of those crazy cities. That is where Rob has it all together, man. It is the ultimate Judas Priest fucking record. The cover, the songs, Bloodstone, great. Electric Guy, the Hellion, the way it opens. That's how they open the tour with that hand down, the guitars. Oh my God, up here in space, I'm looking down on you. That's how they open the Us Festival, also. And uh, I think that this is the ultimate Judas Priest metal record. I will not argue with you at all. One of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, they came to Albuquerque every tour, and they started 
I want to say the Defenders of the Faith tour, they started like first Love, night oh. in Albuquerque because. Oh, I saw that. Remember they opened Love Bites? Well, it's it's for, for Albuquerque and Priest. They don't have to have a new record out. It's just an instant sellout. Yeah. So, you know, they can get the tour going as the record is coming out and know that they have a sellout in New Mexico. I will say my one of my favorite Priest memories is from the same Us Festival with Slayer. In that, that was Rob's first return, telling this to the people listening at home, not to Mr. Del Rey. He knows everything about metal. But uh, that was the first time that Rob came back to the band after being gone for a few years. And also during that time, it had come out that Rob was gay, which was not a secret to turbo metal fans. But I remember sitting there going like, I wonder how the San Bernardino crowd, which I don't care what anyone says. That's the roughest metal crowd in the totally. country. Yeah. That could beat up Meadowlands. You guys will die. If those two uh, crowds went to war, San Bernardino wins every fight. They're fucking oh, yeah. crazy. And I remember thinking like, how is this crowd gonna react to Rob? And it was like a conquering God returning home after destroying another planet. And, lavishing his subjects with the gifts of of war i mean it was fucking amazing uh it was just nothing but a love fest and a thank god rob is back and priest and all is right in the world again you know what i mean oh man i interviewed rob and it was it was the top five uh interviews of my entire life on the podcast let there be talk if you want to hear it this guy I can't, first of all, his book is fucking incredible. Uh, I loved two. I loved fight. And this guy is so fucking pro. When I was interviewing him, which is like an hour and a half, he would be like, let me tell you, Dean, you know, like he would just, (laughs) he's always using your name. This guy's totally pro. And he was so fucking great. He told amazing stories of opening for Zeppelin at that Dan the Green in 77 in Oakland, the last Zeppelin shows in the United States ever. He has amazing stories. His voice is incredible. And I saw a priest with the fake singer and it was sad. It was sad. And fight, I thought, was crushing, you know? Yeah. And two was cool as shit. All right, you, you talked about that being one of the fucking great experiences of your life interviewing Rob. Unbelievable. Who, who else uh, is in that category? Paul Stanley, dude, at his fucking house. Wow. Invited me to his house interviewed him for about an hour and a half. And then he went, Oh shit, I got to pick up the kids. Hey man, do you mind locking up? He fucking, uh, I felt like maybe he was up the road, <laughs> like watching a camera to see if I'd steal. I was like, do you mind locking up? I, it was unreal. Kirk Hammett was, uh, who's a long, long, long friend of mine. Uh, still uh, often kind of, uh, weird to interview an old friend but it was so, so great. And then uh, I know a lot of people aren't going to find this medal at all, but John Mayer, incredible episode with him because we, you know, he loves rock. He loves all kinds of great shit, architecture, watches. I love all this weird shit. And man, we really went down uh, some rabbit holes. And then uh, Jerry from Devo. Devo. Oh, wow. Is, Devo is one of my favorite 
all-time bands, especially, really especially, the early Devo, when it's just so fucking weird. And Jerry came over for four hours, which was wild. God damn, dude. That's um, that's fucking amazing. We've had the opportunity to interview some of our heroes on uh, Rock Tales with Dom and Zappa. Yeah. And we did Paul Stanley. Uh, we did Gene as well. But Paul was very gracious to us. And um, we played a game with him called I Want to Know. Yeah. You know, it was based on his stage banter going, I want to know. Yeah. We, we would do the drop of him going, I want to know. And then Amit and I would ask a dumb question like, how do you get from Silver Lake to Marina Del Rey at rush hour? <laughs> or what, what's the best restaurant in Beverly Glen? Yeah. Uh, and, and he played along. Uh, but he's he, amazing, he, man. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, uh, how do you feel about his Soul Station record? You know, it's funny, man. He played that for me before it came out. Uh, when I first got to his house, he played me the whole record and I, w I was, he had this cool fucking studio and this kind of like man cave vibe. I wouldn't even call it man cave. Cause that's more like, yeah, over there's my fucking punching bag. <laughs> this was more like a vibe cave with a rad turntable set up and, and candles and shit. And he just put it on. And at one point I was like, is this you singing? You know, because it was it was killer, and I love Holland Oats, and I love old R and B. I love Temptations, so I knew where it was coming from, and I I think it's ballsy to um you know just say hey man fuck I like other shit you tumbleweeds you know oh you fucking dead that's fucking nightmare you know those people it's always those people that you want to just fucking put more of you in them you know like hey i like other shit you know <laughs> <laughs> i don't just eat fucking cheeseburgers man i like sushi right. i like fucking you know salmon <laughs> yeah and and i will say i love the fucking turtles and sunny and share and i'm not gonna yeah. uh apologize for that. family you know what i mean yeah i don't <laughs> give a fuck it was funny Lori partridge was my first crush so oh, that's all i gotta shit. say about that all right, moving on. Don't Break the Oath oh. is the second studio album by Danish heavy metal band Merciful Fate. Holy fucking shit. It was released in 1984. The album features a mixture of heavy metal and prog rock elements, along with lead singer King Diamond's signature falsetto vocals and lyrics focused on Satan and the occult. Although very influential to black metal bands due to its lyrical content, the music itself is more reminiscent of traditional heavy metal. Don't Break the Oath also has one of the best metal album covers of all time. Okay, dude. Uh, talk about being scared of oh a band. God. I will not. I will admit to you walking into Merlin's Record Store in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which was the metal record store, uh, and being terrified of the Venom album that was like the leather. It, it was like almost like a leather cover with just the goat head, and then this album because it was like, okay, holy fuck, will I be possessed if I buy this LP? It, it, this band is so fucking far ahead of everybody. It's not even funny. I remember the first time I heard them, we had an incredible record shop in San Francisco on Polk Street called the Record Vault. 
everybody that was metal would go there. Metallica, Exodus, Death Angel, everyone went there. It was like a little clubhouse. And the first time I was in there, I'd go there and buy bootlegs. They had bootleg vinyl and shit. They were playing this fucking song. And I remember it well. It was all C-U-N-T. That's what you are. You know, C-U-N-T. And I looked up and it was this black and white. looked like it was a, a fucking handmade drawn cover. And I think it was like some nuns on some fucking... I can't even remember what it looks like right now. I haven't seen it in so long. And I was like, what is that? And the guy goes, oh, that's merciful fate. They're going to be here tomorrow in store. I was like, what? Holy shit, that is scary. Fast forward a couple years, of course, Melissa record, you know, all good. But once Don't Break the Oath drops, I'm like, this is the best metal record I've heard in a long time. I go see him at the Kabuki. Death Angel opens up, and they don't even have Mark as the singer yet. They're just instrumental. And King Diamond came on. They opened with a dangerous meeting, which is on this record. And I was actually scared. Because the people <laughs> in there, I knew all of the metal community. And the people in there were extra dark underground weirdos. And I was like, who the fuck? And I remember I had to walk to the bus stop after this show. It was like when I saw The Exorcist. I snuck in, saw The Exorcist as a kid, me and my buddy. I slept with a light on for a year, you know? That's yes. fucking... And dude, and I'm fucking hardcore. I'm out every night in metal shows and shit. But this stuff, man, it was like real Satan stuff to me. You know what I mean? Uh, a thousand percent because I don't know if it was a satanic church, but when we were in high school, we thought this particular building in Albuquerque was a satanic church. And yeah. I always associated that building. It was like a dilapidated kind of a church, kind of a house thing. Uh not far from the major intersection of uh, Central and Wyoming in Albuquerque, New Mexico. But it was just one of those fucking scary places that gets the reputation that like, no, 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 that's a satanic church. And yeah. they, kill, they kill kids in there. They stole your dog. That's where your dog is. Your dog is, has been sacrificed in that building. And I yeah, always associated. <laughs> right. And so I always like, you know, whenever I would see that, I would hear merciful fate or venom in my head. You yeah. know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> like, well, you got to think, too. San Fran has the satanic church. You know, that's where I'm growing up. We got fucking Jim Jones right up the street from where I saw it. Guyana grape fucking shit, you know. Uh, you you have, like, at the time, uh, it, it, for about a 10-year period, some of the scariest serial killers are going around. You know, Trailside, Night Stalker, all of these fucking Son of Sam, all of these crazy things. And then you go into this room and you're like, well, this is kind of real. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, yeah. They because they were they were unabashed about it. I mean, yeah. can you? I I want to hear your version of '80s America Christian freakout over heavy metal for my listeners. You know the things that you and I experienced watching the religious right lose their fucking minds over heavy metal in the early and mid 80s. Can well, you explain I, that to people? I tell you what, 
Mate- or, uh, uh, Merciful Fate, they were so evil and, and dark that they weren't even on the fucking on the church's list. They didn't even know that underground <laughs> level. They were whipping out like that, a wasp record. And you're like, right. Hey man, that's fucking, <laughs> yeah, that's fun or whatever, but that's just corny shit. They weren't even on the radar of like merciful fate and, and Slayer and Venom. They didn't, you know, every time you saw them on TV or whatever, they would have like, here it is, wasp, fuck like a beast. Look at the cod piece. Plainly wants to fuck people. You know, it's insane. So that's how underground Merciful Fate is. These fuckers are from an area I've never even heard of at the time. I'm learning my geography from fucking Bruce Dickinson and Merciful Fate. You're like, Denmark? What the fuck is that? <laughs> and then he's got that early evil makeup, the one he gets sued by Gene Simmons on. And his mic stand is just two bones, and I'm pretty sure someone he killed and just made, he took the arm bones and made a mic stand. And the fucking guy, his vocals are so scary, man. And still right now, I'm watching him right now, and he fucking sounds amazing after that triple bypass and, like, years off, you know? Wow. (laughs) I met him, man. Uh, We had him at the Omni. I met him backstage, and I was smoking a cigarette. He's like, please, don't smoke around me. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah, I was like, wait, you're the king, man. You're the (laughs) devil. You invented nicotine. You know? (laughs) It was great, though, man. I fucking love that guy. I saw him on the uh, grandma. Look at your grandma. (laughs) And they had this wheelchair that was supposed to go across the stage with an old granny on it. And it kind of got stuck. The guy was like pulling it with a rope. It was total spinal tap. Years later, you know, it kind of... uh, it weaves out the scariness, you know, because you're like, oh, that's funny. Like the wheelchair <laughs> stuck and the, the guy's pulling it and King's like, get it out of here. <laughs> like me, I don't believe in God. Talk to he sells, but who's buying is the second studio album by American heavy metal band, Megadeth. And it was released on September 19th, 1986 through Capitol Records. The title track, noted for its politically conscious lyrics, was released as the album's lead single. The album's cover art, featuring the band's mascot, Vic Rattlehead, in front of a desolated UN headquarters, was created by artist Ed Repka. Peace Cells is often regarded as a thrash metal classic. Peace Cells, but who's buying? Dean Del Rey, what does this record mean to you? This is the only Megadeth record I like. (laughs) Fair, it's fair. Just going to give you a heads up. I am not a Megadeth guy, but I fucking worship this record. Everybody's like, what about the next one with Marty Freeman? I don't need any of that. This Chris Poland lineup with this songwriting... And uh, pre, pre-talking pre lyrics, you know, hello, you, look at me, you know, this is fucking metal, this record. The Conjuring, come on, man. Peace sells, that bass fucking doom, 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 doom. it's just so perfect. Because to me, great metal 
also has a has to have a bouncy groove. That's what really makes metal fucking because you got the crunch, but you got a groove. And that's what I love in certain parts of metal where you're like, oh, like tool, they got that fucking thing where it's going, you know, do 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 do. So this record to me is a goddamn masterpiece, you know? I was like, yeah. whoa. And uh, what year is this again? 86. So 86, same time as Masters. Am I correct on that? Yeah. Yeah, so look at those two, man. And then, you know, it, it it's fucking great metal from both those from the split off, you know? But this record's fucking great. The first record's pretty kind of mediocre to me. Well, I would say this about Dave Mustaine. You got to give it to him for pulling himself up out of the ashes because totally. most totally. people would have been crushed yep. and drank themselves to death after being kicked out of one of the greatest bands in the history of bands. Yeah. And to turn around and to this day have one of the biggest metal fucking bands in the history of the genre. I mean, it, it's it's kind of impressive. I'll tell you what. The new song is fucking great. Oh, my God. Now look, I, I'm not I'm not really trashing the later yeah. records. Oh yeah, I'm just saying for me, when I want Megadeth, which is about once a month, I go straight to this record and I play the whole fucking thing. But I heard their new song recently, and it is so good, man. It sounds like something that would be on Peace Cells. They went back to like super thrash metal. The video's amazing. So hats off to him. He beat cancer. And uh, I would love to have him on the podcast. Never had him on. But, um, you know, it's, it's, we all know what happened, you know, drank, drank him away, his way out of the band and uh, he's still alive, which is great, man. And uh, holy shit. But, uh, you know, that Chris Poland and uh, that whole era, that, that shit's great, man. Um, just off the top of your head, as we wrap things up, dude, uh, even though I could do this for the rest of the week, um, off the top of your head, what are some other great metal albums you want to throw out for people to listen to if they so choose? Well, I mean, it was tough not to get Death Angel on this list because I think that the uh, Kill is One and, and Death Angel, you know, Act Three and Frolic Through the Park. I think Death Angel is one of the greatest underrated thrash metal bands of all time. And then, of course, I think Among the Living is a goddamn masterpiece by Anthrax. <laughs> I, I love Scott Ian. I love that era of spreading the disease and Among the Living. I think those are fucking gold, man. Absolute gold. And, uh, you know... I mean, we could go on and on. Like I said, is Danzig considered metal? I mean, I think that Lucifuge record is is a masterpiece. Uh, Tool, all of the Tool, uh, starting with me with Undertow, which I thought was one of the most original records I'd ever heard, uh, and Maynard being one of the most insane frontmen. Not Maynard now where he's hiding in the dark and everything, but that Maynard Lollapalooza era and Undertow era where he's up front and he looks like he's in Gummo, that movie, <laughs> and he's, he's just got the most fucking psychotic moves and the weird skullet, just kind of a weird mullet mohawk and... And that guy was mind boggling to me, man. So, I mean, metal is such a big part of my, uh, of life and I could go on and on and on about it. And, 
it's it's I'm I'm glad that I fucking found it as a, a young a young man, you know, maiden number of the beast. Unbelievable. I mean, maiden number of the beast, look, it just came to me right now. How is that on not on my list? I listened to that more than peace cells. It was just I put down the list how I was feeling that day. But number of the beast. Uh, I saw him many times on that first uh, tour with uh, with Dickinson, uh, and I still can't believe how great that record is right now. Well, I I, I never miss Maiden when they go on tour, and my friends and I actually will will pick a, a different city yeah. to meet each other at to just to go see them in, in different spots. Yeah. Um, super super fucking amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, DeanDelRay.com for all things Dean Del Rey. But God damn it. Holy fucking shit. There's nothing I would rather do than, than talk metal uh, with this fucking guy. Um, dude, you're amazing. I mean, that was just a uh, fucking, that was the m- 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 metal shop with <laughs> Dean Del Rey. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me on, dude. Okay, and again, uh, you know, everyone go to uh, DeanDelRay.com to check out the tour dates. If you're in L.A., Dean is often at the Comedy Store on Sunset. Um, is there anything else that you want to promote before I let you go? Instagram, Dean Del Rey, and then my podcast network is CactusRadioNetwork.com. You can find all 654 episodes of Let There Be Talk, 11 years strong, uh, some of the greatest uh, metal and rock and uh, comedians and actors on there. And uh, and then I have a second podcast, which is called The Grail, where I feature people that make shit like guitars or motorcycles or denim or, or boots or watches, all kinds of shit. So it's all out there. DeanDelRay.com. Come see me out on tour. I'll be out with Marcus King September 8th through November something or October something. And uh, yeah, man, thanks for having me. Well, I thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to fuck around with me, dude. I'm, I'm so grateful. Oh, yeah. Anytime. Awesome. And of course, thanks to the rest of you for liking, listening, subscribing. So many great guests coming down the pike, but nobody beats Dean Del Rey. Nobody. Nobody. And of course, the Brando cast is produced by Mr. Richard Sheltinga. So until the next time, cats and kittens. Cats and kittens.